welcome to episode number five of the Flocking Around Volleyball podcast. I'm your moderator for today's in-person event called College Volleyball 201 Beyond the Basics. And we're here at the Mathnasium Learning Center. We're very thankful to them and their owner, Amy Mast, for letting us be here today. We are going to have our, our fans have submitted something like 50 questions so far <laughs> uh, related to all little things related to volleyball that you might see on the court and just not quite be sure what's going on out there. So I've collected them. I will go through maybe about 10 or so uh, at a time and then toss it out to we have some fans that are here in the room. We have some fans that are online and we'll do that too. First thing first, though to welcome our hosts for today. Uh, we'll just go right around the table and some, we do have, it does have to be said, we'll cut our team out. is coming off of an exciting win over Southern Illinois yesterday. So some voices may be a little hoarse today. <laughs> it's not the quality of the audio. So yeah, go ahead. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, my voice is hoarse and deep, so I apologize. Hey y'all, this is Kendi. This is Nicole. And mine is also very hoarse, but this is Katie Weimerskirch. I did scream a lot yesterday during the game. So I also apologize. Uh, I know we have fans here. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. We'll get right to the questions. I'll plan to just toss them out to the group of seniors here. And then whoever wants to respond can. If any related stories come to mind, you can talk about that and we'll just flow the way it goes here. Perfect. So the first question is, how many substitutions are allowed? Is it per set or is it per match? How does that go? Isn't it 12? Yeah, I thought it it's was 12. 12 per, 12 per, 12 per set. set. Once you get to 10, the referee will usually like look over to the bench and tell the coach that you're almost out of subs, mm -hmm. um, which we try not to run out of subs, but I think when we run a 6-2, we get pretty close to running out. But like when the middle and the libero are switching, that's not that considered count. a sub. So it's only when you're at the line and the referee will signal you. So libero and middle can switch out at any time. That's why it's just really important to go on runs when you serve. So like you gain multiple points. So you don't have to use as many substitutions during a game. You've raised a couple of additional questions. You hit right <laughs> on it already. Sometimes we see some people come in off the bench and serve who haven't played the entire game. Mm -hmm. Is that because we're out of substitutions? No, not quite. So for some people on our team, serving is their specialty. So they'll be used as a serving sub. It depends on the person to where like they just want to go get it at a certain zone or you need like a bro or a DS to come play. Someone's, D, um, someone's back row. Um, I would say for a middle, sometimes they don't want the middles to play defense in the back row because it's not really our specialty. So like <laughs> Katie Libero will serve from one of the middles and then the other middle will sub with a serving sub and then they'll play back row. Noticed you mentioned that the middles sub in for Libero and mm -hmm. every time after the opening lineups are announced, the very next thing that happens is somebody leaves the court. Yes, it's the middle. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> so it's the middle subbing out with the libero. So the original lineup, you keep the middle in, and then it's like the libero goes in for the first serve. Someone at the table, they're, they're doing like the stats and all of that stuff. But then there's another person that's just keeping track of the libero, like mm -hmm. who they switch in and out right. with to make sure you're not doing it like illegally. Because mm -hmm. technically, I think I can only switch in and out with two people. 
yeah. or like the you guys girls. would have to like actually use a substitution mm-hmm. and then I'd go in for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like someone's like job is to track me in yes. the middles subbing in and out with each other to make sure that we're not like I because I can't sub in for just like anyone. It has to be middle. the middles and they have to be three rotations apart. What are the rules for liberos? You talked about they can only switch for two people. Um, and what about as far as other things, Katie, as far as attacking and maybe your position on court, what's, I would love to attack more. Yeah. (laughs) The setters, the setters don't set me enough. (laughs) I'm kidding. So I think the only rule with attacking for me is that I can't be above the plane of the net. So I could hit the ball as long as I'm like standing on the ground. Or if I like do a baby jump in my hand, like doesn't go above the net. And then the other like main rule is if I'm setting the ball to a hitter, I have to be behind the 10 foot line if I'm going to use my hands and actually set it overhead instead of bump setting it. So if I'm using my hands to set a hitter, I have to be behind the 10 foot line. But if I'm in front of the 10 foot line, I have to pass it. Or if she does use her hands in front of the 10 foot line, the hitter can't jump. jump. They have to stay on the ground. They can't be above the plane. So you rather would just use your platform. Because otherwise they wouldn't be able to take a full approach in swing, which I guess kind of makes sense because then it would be like always having a front row setter. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's, I, that's like the idea behind it is that you have to be out of system sometimes. You had also mentioned 6-2 versus 5-1. What does that mean? <laughs> a 6-2 is primarily where you run two setters. And then the 5-1 is where you run one setter primarily and then there's also another one a five two and that's where you'll have you'll have two setters one will play the front row and then the other one will play the back row but they only sub in one rotation so you don't take out an extra person and it gets even more confusing when you have to block because there's always that one person up there or one person who's not up there primarily it just depends on the system Um, of what your team needs and if you need more attackers and more options to alleviate someone like an outside hitter who's like taking on most of the outside or the out of system sets this will allow you to have like the outside and the right side going too, just to alleviate some pressure so in the six two you always have um three hitters front row Mm -hmm. Whereas in the five one, there's going to be a few rotations where it's just the middle and the outside. There's no right side because the setter's front row. Your setter when they're in the front row would be a defender as well. Seems like sometimes through the years we've had our setter trying to be up blocking right. attacks. Yes. So if you're really if you're in the five one, they're essentially like the right side, so they'll block with the middle. And they yeah. just won't hit. They just won't hit. But then when they're up in the front row, they can be more offensive. And that's where you'll see more like setter attacks and dumps mm-hmm. unless katie decides to set them them all <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think i i don't think i've <laughs> really done that much <laughs> try to stick with the outsides yeah we appreciate it yeah as players is there one format or another that you like more between those or is it all kind of feel all the same to you? Yeah. I feel like Nicole would have the <laughs> most opinion on this. I like the five one a lot better. I personally like the five one a lot better because that would mean the setter is up front with me. And I personally like to run behind the setter a lot more, like with the slides. So that was my favorite with the five one, just because I'm more offensive behind the setter than I would say in front of the setter. 
Nicole is an elite slide hitter. <laughs> so that's why she likes a 5-1. Yes, because you can run a slide in a 6-2, but you have to cross pass with the right side because the right side is going to come in front for like the two ball and then the middle is going to be behind on the slide. So it's just like sometimes that cross pattern is just like running into each other. I specifically remember I like KP and I, I was coming from the opposite side of the court and we like rammed into each other. This was in um, Milwaukee. I think we were playing Illinois. It was. But we rammed into each other at the 10 foot line when we were crossing paths and it was just, we didn't run that again. (laughs) Never again. Never again. We exchanged some words and then we never did it again. (laughs) Wait, Sarah, why do you like the five one more? Because I feel like it doesn't affect you as much. Well, because if there's two centers and they're just completely different, it's harder to have. Yeah. 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 Off of just two different centers. Whereas one, it's just more consistent. And then I would say for me, it just really depends on what position I am. If I'm an outside or if I'm a right side. If, if I'm a right side, obviously I want to be in the 6 2, because then that allows for another hitter to join. And since like our teammate Cal and KP were, are going, doing amazing this season. It allows like for more opportunity for other people to get on the court too. What did you guys run against Southern Illinois then? Or was it a six We ran two. a six two. Yeah. Which we just switched for that game. Before that game, I think most of them we were running a five one mm-hmm. with Emily. And then last night we ran a six two with Emily and Nora. So they both set. Um so like Kendi said, we had an, another attacker. So we moved one of our middles. Hannah to the right side. So she was attacking on the right side, which isn't normal for her. Um, So that was kind of fun because she (laughs) was in a situation that she's not normally in. Um, But I thought she did really well. And then that allowed for another middle to play. So Mm -hmm. Cassie played. Um, Yeah. So I think that honestly helped us out in that game because they weren't prepared for it because every game that they would have scouted before we were in a five one. So it was kind of like, they didn't know what to do. And we didn't really know what was going on either (laughs) because Hannah doesn't practice that position normally. So it was kind of just like fun. I think, yeah. I think another thing to know with like a six, two versus a five, one, like, like on a blocking standpoint is it's way harder to block against a team that's running a six, two, because you obviously have three attackers coming at you at all times. So from a middle standpoint, it was really, it's a lot harder to block against that because I'm now thinking about three people rather than two. So that's just one thing to know. I do feel like five ones are more common though, especially in division one yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. even like in club or high school I feel like I mainly was in a 5-1 which like doesn't affect me because I'm not an attacker (laughs) or a setter really but most most of the time I feel like my teams were in a 5-1 besides here yeah you mentioned a slide play you're a middle blocker Nicole yes do other players do slide as well okay yeah I can touch on that so the slide is when I'm essentially running behind the setter off one foot other hitters can do it. Kendi sometimes runs slides actually if she's like on the right side. And I've I've seen Kalia do a slide yeah, Kalia did it too. like slide approach sometimes too. Also, for an example, if Hannah is Hannah, on the right yeah. side, she's more comfortable doing a slide just because that's more of a middle, a middle set. Um, so she'll do that sometimes on the right. I think yeah. when you have middle training yeah. experience, it's so much easier to like kind of put it to your other positions as well. Like just seeing the court from an outside perspective, when you trained as a middle, you're just like, oh, 
I know how to use the blockers hands differently in this. Sarah's better at that than I am, but like even on the right side of making sure I like force down the line, I, it has like a better view of just going up and seeing different angles of how to hit the slide too. So it's been fun. I wish I would have ran it more in my career, but I'm glad Hannah and Cal are getting that chance too. It's been heard before about there being six different zones on the court. Is that true? And if so, how are they used in a game? The zones are mainly for serving. So the coach will like tell you a zone and then you try and serve there. And it's where you set up for your rotations. Yeah. So if they say, um, we're starting in like a certain rotation that each person will go to the zone that they're in for the rotation. The rotations are set up around the setter. Mm -hmm. So rotation one is when the setter's in right back. And then it just goes from there. Which one is zone one then? So that would be right back is zone one. So it just goes one and then right front two, three, four, five, six. So yeah, it's just three in the counterclockwise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's where if like when you get called out of rotation, if you're not on a certain side of someone, that's where they're going to call you out of rotation because you have to be on like you. I don't know how to explain it. You have to be set up to like the correct zone that you're in and the proper rotation. And if you're not like if you're in a zone that the middle is supposed to be in, then they would call you for that. Yeah. And you have to like base it off of the front row in the back row too, like. Katie has to be somewhere in in between like an outside and right side. And then the middle has to be somewhere. So it really gets technical when you're trying to set up different rotations and trying to get out of a situation. Like if we can't pass in a situation where we're all stacked on the left side to where we have three hitters and then Katie, the setter and the other outsider all stacked on the right. It'd be easier to draw it. Yeah, it really would. (laughs) Uh, what's a quick set and why do you use it and what are the keys to doing it well? So mostly quick sets are used like in the middle because we're coming like straight at the setter and that's like a lot of the time, but quick sets can also be used like on the outside. Like if you were going to run like a, a, shoot. a shoot or like a rip, I would say that's like more of a quick mm-hmm. set. <clears throat> but I think from, I'm just going to like compare it to like a blocking standpoint. When you're using a quick set, it's a lot harder to defend because you have to have quicker reaction times, which in turn is like a lot harder because you just have to move everything at a faster pace and your mind has to be going at a faster pace also. So just on a defensive standpoint, it throws everyone off in the back row and the front row when there's a quick set. Yeah. You have less time. I think going off of like a quick set and like the perspective of defense, that's always the first priority that I have to watch is then because they're the middle yeah. because they're usually running a quick set and that's, I have to be ready for that faster because I don't have time to like position myself. Right. So I just have to be stopped and like ready. You're just trying to get it up. At so, that point. <laughs> so when I'm like, I sequencing, you like watch the pass if it's on or off. And then I'll typically find the middle on the other side and watch them and see what route they're running. Cause they're usually either running an A or a B which the A is right next to the setter and the B is further away, but it's still a quick set. Um, And then I'll go back and like watch the setter to see who she sets. But I have to know where that middle is because once they have the ball, I'm not going to have time to like really know where she is. I have to know where she is before she gets set because it's so fast. Mm -hmm. 
makes sense. Now, there's so much timing involved with the quick set. Is this a play that's called at a certain point? And how's that communicated? Um, well, pretty much all of the middle sets are quick sets. So there's no really communication in that aspect. But if an outside were to run a quick set, that has to be communicated beforehand. Mm. But um, middle, it's pretty much just all the time, all, all the time quick. But one thing that is nice defensively is like if the ball is off the net, the pass is off the net. Um, you can kind of ignore the middle essentially because it's mm -hmm. harder to run a quick set of balls, obviously out of system. So mm -hmm. that's one nice thing about it. That's why we try to serve tough. Yes, yeah. turf, <laughs> serve tough, get them out of system, and then you can try and avoid the quick sets. Yeah. So, uh, If you're online and you have a question and uh, anybody in the room have anything they want to ask at this time. Uh, I do have a question though on the... Uh, in relation to the quick set, why are so many of the outsides up so high of a set that it allows the defense to get into position? Is that something that is, is planned or is it an ideal to have a, a shorter serve to get a hit uh, that would be much quicker? even on the outsides. I feel like it kind of depends on the hitter a little bit. Like some people are just better at hitting a ball that's a little bit higher. So they have more time. We played Marquette um, in preseason Crazy. and they ran the fastest offense we've ever seen. And like their outside, it was like, it was insane. Like it was, it was almost fast. like de defending a middle on the outside because they ran such a fast set. But I think, one that starts with their setter who was like really, really, really good. Um, and their outsides were also just like good at hitting of quick tempo, which I feel like is really hard as an outside. Granted, I'm not an outside, but like, I just like, it's just harder to hit that set. So I think it depends on who you have and what their strengths are, because if they're quicker and they can run that fast set, a lot of times, like you said, it is harder to defend that because the blockers don't have time to get out there and set it up. But um, yeah, it's just like some, some people aren't as good at that. And also I feel like you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if you're shorter, <clears throat> it's harder to do that. Just like limits your options sometimes because if it's like so fast and low and like your timing's not like perfect, you like can really only hit like one shot. And I like it higher because I could like get up there and like use the block more, but if it's lower and faster, it limits like the height that I'm hitting it at. Contact it. Yeah. That was a good question. Did um, <clears throat> any of the rules change from when you were playing in high school to college? And were those hard to adjust to if there were any changes? The only thing I can truly think about is the challenge system that was like kind of a rule that changed for us. But other than that, I don't think anything changed really. Do you like the fact that coaches can challenge? Yeah. Because um, sometimes roughs are terrible. <laughs> so that, like, when you get a point and you, like, know you did and you could prove it, it's like, it makes it more fair. The only bad thing about challenges is sometimes the cameras aren't great quality. So, like, even if there is a touch on the block, they might not be able to see it um, with the cameras that we have and other people in our 
conference, but like when you're playing in like power five, those cameras are really high quality. Yeah. So they'll see everything. Definitely. So that's the only disadvantage of playing. And obviously lower. <laughs> and obviously the disadvantage of like you're hoping the ref missed a like had a bad call on a certain thing. If it's like down to like a game point situation, like you don't want them to favor the challenge for the other team. So Sometimes that stinks if you you know you touch the ball or something on the block and you're like, I really hope they don't challenge that. And then they do and you're like, ah. Or like last year in the national championship, Wisconsin thought they had won. And yeah, then yeah. Th they challenged on match point and Nebraska got the point back. So Dana Recky was already like on the floor, like celebrating. And then they had yes. to play another point because they got the challenge yeah um but yeah i still remember that it was funny she like did a full dive onto the floor <laughs> and then they had to play another point i think that's the only change though i can't yeah. think of anything else Jewelry. as far as like game like we can old. we can wear earrings now oh that is, that is stud we can. Studs. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. can't be hoops though yeah, yeah. the reflection from the light oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah so that's a fun rule yeah <laughs> love that rule same because i used to have to put in like a clear earring into my thing to try and hide it from the rest that i still had an earring in but so it's nice just to be able to keep it in or the old good old band-aid trick yeah or like you saw the band-aids even on the noses of people and they had their nose pierced so that's been a nice um rule change but that might apply to high school too i i'm not exactly sure oh switching sides because for COVID, we didn't have to switch sides for quite a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was hoping they were going to keep that I in effect because they kept that at my high school. They did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like switching sides. I'd rather just stay on the one side. <laughs> yeah. All high schools kept that, I think, because that's the way we played all year. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. cool. You're lucky. Yes. Speaking about challenges, what tends to happen in the huddle while you're waiting for the challenge to be decided upon? Depends on the huddle. Just because, like, if you're on the court, you're with the coaches and we're talking strategy and, like, we're hoping that we get the call. I think <laughs> it's You kind of go in and you're like, did you touch it? And you're like, yeah. It depends on who. So, like, you're like, all right, we might not get this. Yeah, but, like, yeah. so you figure out if the challenge is actually, like, going to go your way valid yes. or not. But then, honestly, I feel like whenever I'm out there, we just kind of, like, joke around. We don't really talk mm. about anything. <laughs> I feel like they used to play the song like tell me something good. so sometimes i'll sing that song to get like good juju going I'll be like tell me something good Ooh. but it would be better than that because i would have yeah i think it just depends on what side calls the challenge because yeah. i think if they're challenging against us it's not even that you say it out that you touched it you're almost just like giving everyone looks around the huddle like yeah that's the ball on the block or something like that so because i know um from watching the game like on espn the cameras are zooming in on the uh, little huddles so you can't just openly be like i touched it because yeah. then everyone's like hey you know so i think you're trying to keep it low-key if you did did touch it or something like yeah. that but like sarah said i feel like they're not really super intense you're just kind of like or if the coach has something that they want to say to you quick they'll like pull you aside within the huddle but not not super intense and then even on the bench like we we like are locked in but then we play like an eye game to where like you can't look at we get in the circle and you can't look at the next person or you can't look at the same person or you're out 
So it's like, like you're looking if down, you make eye contact, yeah, out, you're, yeah. everyone's looking down and then they're like one, two, three, and everyone looks up and you like look at a different person. And if you make eye contact with that person, then you're both out. So uh, that's yeah. been a tradition okay. of playing that game during the challenges. So or there's a dancing that's kind of competition. Yeah. Competition. It, it gets yeah. wild. Okay. There. But yeah. Once the, the um, call is made though, about the challenges, then it's back to business. Yeah. What's the difference between hitting on the left versus the right side of the court? I'll let you guys take that one. Um, I got it. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Katie. Um, I would just say the timing of the ball is very different and like how it um, is released from the setter. Because like when you're an outside, like Nicole said earlier, you're waiting on the ball a little bit longer. And then on the right side, it's kind of more of like a middle quick tempo. You just just go up and bang a ball essentially. <laughs> and um, I think for me, uh, having the flexibility of being a middle back in the day, back in my prime, um, mm -hmm. I like have more flexibility to go train back and forth, back and forth. But like, it all, it all just kind of depends on your strengths, like um, blocking and hitting and just power, powering through a block is, is mainly my strength. But like off blocker defense, not a huge fan of it. <laughs> so um in service eve not a huge fan of that either but like it all really just depends on you love service eve. yeah love service you eve. love it you yeah. love it yeah and like the the angle that you're approaching is different um and like usually you get back set like back set on the right side so that's just a different look um i feel like you covered it all though yeah also if you're right-handed on the right side the ball has to come across your body before you can hit it. <clears throat> yeah. So the timing's just way different in that aspect. You just have different responsibilities overall. Like as an outside, you're taking care of the pass. For your other hitters, you're like taking out the trash, like getting out of system sets. Where Katie's just saying, "Go for it, you got it." <laughs> Katie's great at out of system balls. She really though, is. So. And then on the right side, you're just mainly like you're you're trying to shut down their other outside. They're like one of their best hitters. And then um, you're just expected to block and hit over there. But as an outside, you got to do the whole shebang. I, I think arguably it's the hardest position outside of the middle. Thank you. Maybe. The middle is the, um, you get in system sets. <laughs> you get in system sets. <laughs> Actually, at this level, all positions are difficult. What's a pancake? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Katie and Sarah. I love pancakes <laughs> in both aspects. <laughs> um, it's basically, Sarah, why are you laughing? <laughs> um, it's basically kind of like a last resort effort to get the ball up on defense. So typically it would be on like a tip or... Um, something like short that you have to like run down um, and you basically like dive and have your hand flat on the ground like flat like a pancake and then hope that the ball lands perfectly on your hand and then goes up because you got to get something under the ball before it's the ground for it to count so um, pancakes are fun if you get them up but if it doesn't then you're just like wow I look so stupid <laughs> I think sometimes it's hard because it has to be like perfectly on your hands. Like if the ball is if half any, on your fingers yeah. or on the floor, it's considered down. Yeah, if any so. part of the ball is on the ground, it's, it's not up. So you have to get your full hand 
underneath it but it looks cool when you get it yeah <laughs> i think it's hard from like a wrapping standpoint to like really tell because it's yeah. like you're like really looking at their hands on the floor so when me and sarah pepper before the game we <laughs> when we're done peppering we'll we'll do like a back and forth pancake and then we'll be done so sarah will like toss the ball and I'll pancake it, and then she'll try to pancake the ball that I pancaked. Oh. <laughs> and then that's how we end our, our pepper it's a good session. tradition. How do defensive players avoid colliding with each other? Mm-hmm. You mm. don't. You really don't. You just you have can. to do it. You just have to trust, trust that you're not going to run into each other. That's actually how I got my only concussion. Yeah, you and Jess. Me and Jess were going for the same ball at practice, and we like headbutted each other like face to face because it was kind of funny because we were like coming at each other like looking at each other and we knew it was going to happen but there was like no slowing us down so it, it kind of felt like it happened in slow motion because like I made eye contact with her and then it was just like boom our heads just hit each other's but um I mean we try to set up so that the defenders are on different planes so that one person is supposed to cross in front of the other person and vice versa. Um, but that just the reality of the game is that it's it's probably not gonna go like that every time. So you just kind of have to like trust and like feel where people are around you. Um, and then just like make a move for the ball. But yeah, hopefully we're not on the same plane, but sometimes it's unavoidable. That's crazy because I remember when I do play defense, I'm always like hopping over you essentially. Like, yeah, you're, you're I'm always just in it. the way. No, I wouldn't say you're in the way. It's just like I just end up being in the wrong place. And then <laughs> I have to hop over you or I complete the dig and hop over you. Are there rules in the sense of if the ball is going between two players, one person has the right to call off the other one where certain players have priority over another? Or is it more just the general idea of the planes? Um, I mean, I feel like I, as like a libero should have priority over every ball if it's like in my general direction or if it's in between me and another person, um, it's like more likely that I'm going to take it. Cause that's like my only responsibility is to play defense and pass. Um, but yeah, I think we like have certain defenses that we're in and like certain balls are supposed to be dedicated to certain people because they're in a spot, but um, there's some balls that like are in between people, like you said, and then you just need to cross for them. But um, I think the most important part is just to get the ball up. Doesn't really matter who gets it up, but I feel like if it's in between me and another person, I'm usually going to try to take it if I can. So there is strategy behind it. Yeah. It's not just a free for all. No, it's not a free for all. (laughs) What are some ways that the 10 foot line comes into play? I think the one rule that comes to my mind is a back row attack. You can't have your foot touch any part of that line or else you'd be considered like a front row attacker. A front row attacker. So you have to stay behind that line. That's the one rule I can think of. Or else, like you said, you can set in front of the 10-foot line. That's another one. But I think other than that, you guys just use it for, like, transitioning purposes. Yeah. So you could talk about that. It's like a location to help you gauge, like, where, where to be on the, court. on the court. What are the rules about serving? What you can and can't do? You can't have your foot on the line. 
<laughs> football. That's football. A yeah. Um, I don't think that. Oh, you have to serve within ten seconds of the whistle being blown. I don't think that's ever been called, though. I feel like no one really takes that. Long. I've seen yeah. it been called before. I feel like that's like serving. You could literally kind of like do whatever you want as long as you don't cross the line. Yeah. Like you could stand all the way back. You could underhand it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So. I think there's a rule about like you can't serve like outside the sidelines mm-hmm. either. You can start outside the sidelines as long as you contact it. Yeah, yeah. I think also if you're jump serving, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can, as long as you've contacted the ball, you can land in the court. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the air, yeah, if you're in the air, you contact the ball and then you land inside the court. It's not a football or anything like that, but it's only if you're like standing and you step on the line, then you would be called. I have a question. <laughs> okay. Introduce yourself. I am Kelsey, um, otherwise known as MVC Sister of the Year. I'm uh, Katie Weimer's sister. So for our serve receivers, I have heard that that's like one of the toughest skills to adjust to coming from high school to college just because the serves are so much tougher. Um, What are the different like types of serves you typically see or prepare for and which is like your least favorite to pass? That's a great question, actually. Um, I feel like the serves that we see are just like a standing float serve, which is just like your generic, like basic serve. Um, and then a jump float serve, which is the type of serve that I have. And then a top spin serve, which those are the ones where they toss it like really high and they hit it with top spin. Um, and that's the serve that Evansville is like known for. A lot of them do it and they're they're hard to pass. Um, and then I think my least favorite pass to ser- or serve to pass is when they stand like super, super far from the end line. And it's just like a standing float, which are the easiest to pass if they're serving it close, like by the end line. But when they're like way further back, the ball is just coming. Like it travels so much further and it can float while it's coming over. So it kind of like, where you originally think the ball is going to go, it's probably not going to go there. You kind of have to like time it and like wait to see where it's going to move to. So those are just harder to track. So I think that's my least favorite because they can also like drop at the last second or like you'll think it's going out, but it might drop on the end line. Like they're just a lot harder to like track and like you have to adjust to them as they're coming, which is hard. I feel like my least favorite to pass is when it's a float serve and it's like it drops shorter I'm just not as good at like moving forward and passing than I am moving back and then for me I would say the jump float when it, they're serving at my head or at my neck just because they're I'm coming at your neck <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> because like when you set up in a system like Katie kind of keeps us all accountable of like where to stand and like how shallow or deep in the court we are so like when in my rotation, since I hit the most, that's primarily my job that I want to be at a certain spot to where I can easily trans to go hit a ball. So like when it is coming at my head or at my just my upper body, I have to like go back, go backwards and then like play it and then get into my runway and attack. So that's just where it becomes difficult. But like shorter for me. Not like super short, but like shorter is better. 
because you're moving forward into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no answer to this question. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole likes to short ball right out. <laughs> I like to stay away from the back row. Three so. pass. <laughs> Occasionally, if there's a difficulty with a serve receive, it almost looks like we reposition ourselves on the court for the next set. Is that a call that comes from the bench or is that something you sort out amongst yourselves on the court? Um, it's, I feel like it starts kind of with me. I can make decisions of like who's passing and where or how much responsibility they have. So like there's some times where like last night, Kendi will be like, can you guys just pass two? Cause I need to like focus on hitting right now. Or like maybe they're trying to target her, but like I I don't think we like I think we can pass this person with just two people instead of three. So that like takes pressure off of Kendi so that she can go and just focus on hitting. So I think it depends on the server if they're like really precise with where they serve or if it's like really fast, it's harder to pass with two people. But um it just basically is to alleviate pressure off of people. Um, or like if Kendi is passing, I'll try to like pinch her to the sideline so that if it's in between us, I'm going to take it so she can go do her job. Um, but yeah, there's, there's strategy behind it, but I feel like it mainly starts with my decision, but I'll typically get feedback from the coaches too. And the setters, like if the setter wants to run a different option too. Mm -hmm. So like, if we are in a six, two, there's a capable or there's the possibility to where I can move from the left side of the court to the right side of the court around my right side routes, rather than just staying out there and having kind of the collision of the right side and middle going in their different directions versus um, just making more options for more hitters. Yeah. So it really just depends. And I also call seams. So like we'll either do seam left or seam right which means like you're, if it's seam left, you have the ball that's like right at you and then everything to your left between you and the other person. So like if I'm passing in the middle and Kenny's on my left and she's in the front row, I'm probably going to call seam left, meaning I'm going to take the ball that's in between me and Kendi. And then Ada, who is on the other side of me, will have anything in between me and her. But then it'll switch. Like if, if Ada will go to the right side of the court and pass and she's in the front row, then I would probably call seam right and I would take her seat. What types of plays can be challenged and how many challenges are there per set or match? Two challenges and you get to keep it if you win it. And then you get an additional one in the fifth set. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, you can challenge touch on the block in the net. In the net, I think you can challenge a crowd. Um, trying to think. I think you can challenge like under the net or like on the line, yeah. the middle center. You can't challenge back like. Row attack. Oh, yeah. You can do back row attack. Or like a. I have a question attack. about the challenges. If uh, sometimes if you're in the middle of the game and coach jumps up, like she's going to challenge a call, do you guys ever call her off? Like, no, that was the right call. And then she doesn't challenge. Yeah. I think a lot of times the coaches will like look to the bench for kind of some like clarity on what to challenge and what not to, but also the players can be like, no, no, don't challenge that. So 
I touched it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if it's a really bad touch, I'll be like, don't challenge it. But if I think I can get away with it, then maybe I'll <laughs> tell her to challenge it. Similarly, how about the rules for an into the net violation or under the net? Maybe that's a little less clear than what into the net might be. <laughs> I think as far as like in the net, it's pretty black and white. Like the down ref is like what he's that's what they're like pretty much there for is watching the in the net and under the net calls. And like if you're in the net, then it's like an automatic point for the other team. I'm pretty sure like even if it's like your jersey that hits the net, I think that you can still have it be a point for the other team. Cause I distinctly remember like one of our games, we kept getting in the net, but it we thought it was just our jerseys. So we all had to sit there and like tuck them all in. So but as far as like under the net, I think there's different, like, I think you can be under the net if no one on the other side is around you. Yeah. As long you as can, you don't interfere with If play. you don't interfere with play, you can step under the net. But a lot of times when you are called under the net, it's, you're interfering with play. So. And your hair doesn't count. Oh yeah. That's yeah, what it is. Your, your hair, hair doesn't count. Um, you mentioned down ref and up ref. Those are the two refs at center court. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's the name of the refs that are on the corners? <clears throat> Do they have a name? Line judges. Line judges. Yep. <laughs> Sarah likes line judges. Yeah, big <laughs> what are the rules about who can talk to the refs? Usually, um, it's just supposed to be the captain on the court. Um, you could get like carded for having other people like trying to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we've seen a yellow card get held up by the ref. I think at a recent match, we saw someone on the, uh, the coach, maybe on the other team or someone on the other team got mm -hmm. a yellow card held up. What are the consequences of that other than feeling bad? <laughs> yellow card is just like a warning. So like really it gets written down so they can see that you got a yellow card in that game. But I don't think anything happens until you get a red card which I'm not exactly sure if someone else wants to touch you on lose that. the point and the other team or the other team gets the point. And I think you have to sit down. I don't think you can, maybe I'm making no. that up. Is that not a, I don't think we had, I don't think someone sat down last time we got one. I think a red card for coaches. You might have to, I think if you get a red card as a coach, you have to stay seated. Yeah, um, you can't. I, I think, think that is a rule. The other team gets Fine. the point and they get the serve. Yes. But you can also get a yellow card, not even a coach, but if you have a delay of game, mm -hmm. like if you're taking a while to come out of the huddle or a timeout or a timeout, yeah, then you can get one for delay of game. But I don't know if it's how it's recorded because it's different than if it's against a coach. I think players can get yellow cards no, too can. if you're like bickering with the ref. Yeah. So, yeah. It looked like when that yellow card happened in the other match, the very next thing that happened was the ref called one of their players over to talk to that mm -hmm. player. And so yeah. it almost kind of looked, for those who don't know the rules, like the player was the one who had gotten oh, in trouble. Oh, yeah. Usually if that happens, they'll call the captain over to explain the situation. Yeah. So if the coach is like, well, what was that for? Then the captain will go over and explain, you know, what happened. Not a question. Um, to like the casual fan in the stand who of course you can play you know, armchair quarterback all day long and, and you know, say, well, how come they didn't get to this ball or to that ball? But um, occasionally we'll see, you know, like maybe like on a serve receive, maybe a ball gets shanked and the setter is just running her, you know, running her legs off to get to it. Is it her job basically to call for help or, you know, at what point 
you know, is somebody else supposed to step in and assist with that? Yeah, I feel like um, a lot of times the setter should like say help um, or like say someone's name so that they'll like go get it and they know that she's not going to go for it. But a lot of times if the ball is like closer to me and I do set sometimes, especially if it's out of system. So um, in that case, it would be out of system if they like shanked it. So I feel like at that point, it's kind of anyone's ball as long as you call for it. Um, So a lot of times, even if I think the setter could get to the ball, but I have a better like shot at putting up a good ball than her like having to run further for it then I'll just call it but yeah it is it is the setter's responsibility to like call for help or say someone's name um but also if you if you feel like you could put up a good ball because you're closer to it you could just call her off I feel like um it's nice when you have like the confidence in like the libero or something to be able to set the ball. So like the setter is gonna be more apt to like let Katie step in and take it. So I think it's nice for like when a team has that aspect. Cause like Katie puts up really good out of system balls for the hitters. So it's there's a lot of trust in like aspect of Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> You're welcome. It's nice to have that. Makes it easier on the setter too. Oh no, you put up some pretty good balls too. A few in my time. <laughs> a few in my back in my day. Few. Emphasis on that. Before a lot of serves, it looks like the setter will grab her jersey <laughs> and flash some signals. What's happening there? Essentially, she's calling the plays that we're running for that like serve receive, essentially. So it could change every time, but she's like call- giving each setter a hit that they're going to hit for that rotation about how many different possibilities are there? Are we talking about 20 or three or what What might be happening there? You primarily have three, but it just depends on the hitters you have. Like if you're in a 5-1, you're just going to have like two, two play calls and then have like the back row option. But then if you're in the 6-2, you'll have like the, the three options. And then um, she'll also tell you like your free ball play too. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole different thing. Like the team just says, we just want to give you this, give you like this easy ball. ball over. Just trying to save the play. Then we can run a different route as well. The possibilities are endless. It, it is. really is. It kind of all depends on like what rotations, like we talked about that, what rotations you're in. It's all going to depend on what play call you have. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say if we're running the five, one, um, she's most likely going to call me on a slide no matter what, just because there's only two hitters. So it's harder for the other team to block hitters that are pin to pin rather than in the middle of the court. I don't know if that makes sense how I'm explaining it, but yeah, it all depends on that way, but Mm -hmm. yeah. And just your personnel, like who runs what better? Yeah. Like for me, I'm more inclined to do the middle routes of like the rip or the two. And then I rather just not stay out there, but sometimes I have to just stay in my pen pen. But as a blocker, it's hard to read because you never know what they're going to run. So like, that's why we're all communicating beforehand. We're like three AB, go AB, go go slide two. We're just trying to figure out their play calls. And then when we figure out, well, we're supposed to like say, oh, this is what they're actually running. Yeah. So that's what you hear us calling. Yeah. Because each one has a different name, obviously. Yeah. 
we probably sound crazy. Yeah. We do. I'm always like, go A9, go, go yeah, B9. Yeah, go A B9, go A9, go A9. Watch the back row, watch center down. Yeah. So that's what we're communicating to, essentially, our front and back row. It does look like you're looking at the other team and yelling <laughs> stuff to the other team <laughs> in those moments. Yeah. Not loud enough that I can hear in the stands, but enough that we assume that you're talking to yes. each other. Yeah. Yesterday, we were sitting at Wesley watching from the back side of the like, rather than looking at the net. Mm -hmm. And several times a player when they had a server going would stand up and make signals with their fingers behind yeah. their back. And I don't know, I presume she was trying to tell that server where to hit the ball. Um, there's but several, not necessarily. Yeah, there's several different options for that. Um, depends on like your coach and your coaching system because like for us, our coaches give us our serves. Right. Yeah, a little more. Uh huh. But then in other cases, like that's us as blockers telling like Katie and Sarah and like anyone who plays the back row where we're going to block. And like it's primarily used in beach, like beach volleyball. They'll say like a one if they're blocking line, a two if they're blocking cross, or like they'll just have a different type of number to like if they even want to block ball. So it really depends on your team. Like for us, we don't really do. Um, numbers for each other there's also another way like calling yeah. it how many attackers are up on their yeah, side yeah, just so that the three. back row knows <clears throat> if they should expect two people coming at them three mm -hmm. people coming at them so I think that's a more common way used then that's a little bit more complex I yeah. think so not a lot of people use that but so yeah. normally that's not telling the server where to get the ball. Yeah. like in tennis it's the other way if you have a doubles you know your partner up in front will stand and tell you where to serve the ball. Mm -hmm. So many adjustments are made in game over the course of a game. Can you think of an example or multiple of you think of just your personal example of like a, a really good adjustment that worked and and really changed the, the tide won. of the game? Um, when we played Illinois, we adjusted our middle back to like basically stand in the deep corner because they hit there like every time. And I feel like we were really successful with that because the outsides were their best players. So putting us in that spot like really helped us shut them down or limit them from scoring as much, I feel like, as they normally do. Yeah, I feel like the majority of what we would adjust is our defense, like our block and our mm -hmm. defense. So like um, I think last night we moved the block in a little bit on the outside because a lot of their sets to the outside were dying inside. So they, our block was getting too far past their attacker and she like could hit a lot of different angles and a lot of different shots, which is really hard to defend. So we moved the block in a little bit. And then I don't think we did change our defense too. Um, Cause we started in a, or no, not, no. Yesterday no, we, we, we started in semi-rotate and then the day before we started in perimeter, then switched to semi. -rotate. Yeah, so I think a lot of the times it's just like changing our defense because they're going to scout like what spots are open on our defense. So if they're like exploiting that, then we'll switch our defense to something else so that we can get those balls and then they will, they'll have to adjust again. So it's mainly the defense, but I feel like a lot of times it does work in our favor and then you 
will have to continuously keep adjusting it mm-hmm. because they're going to make adjustments back. That helped last night too. Mm-hmm. A lot of things get yelled on the court in the middle of a play. <laughs> Maybe each can take a chance of thinking of something really funny that got memorable, that got yelled by one teammate at other people on the court, probably in an encouraging way, but something that was just funny or memorable that one teammate just yelled while out on the court at some point. When you're in the moment, anything goes. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's fun when you have like people who are more quieter, maybe yell something at you. Like that gets me hyped up. Like if Ada ever comes up and like yells in my face, I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. We love it, right? Yeah. yeah. She did that to me last night and she said, period, queen. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> Ada doesn't really talk a whole lot. Yeah, no, no I, I love when that's funny too, that you said that. Or like Kalia, yeah. if she like gets hyped after a play, that's so She's like, send me the ball more. Like, I want the ball. Give me the ball. Yeah. I'm just like, where'd you come from? <laughs> <laughs> but I've definitely, I think I've said to like Sarah or like to another hitter, I'm just like, light her up. Yeah. The, the person on the other team, just light them up. <laughs> I love when people get a block. I'll just be like, you're huge. Yeah. yeah. Or you bark at them. Yeah. I'll we bark, bark at a people lot. occasionally. <laughs> we bark a lot. Got to get the, got to get them going, you know? I think this isn't like yelling, but I feel like a lot of times you'll like jump onto people. Like I've had multiple times where you're like jumping onto me yeah. and I'm like, oh, I like, to, I like to try to climb Nicole <laughs> during the game. I think everyone's experienced a Sarah scream to the face. Though. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. No, when Sarah puts her mouth right by your ear and like oh, explodes your God. eardrum, I'm like, ow. I actually feel like I remember one time she did that and I was like, Sarah, that was like a little bit too much. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I appreciate it. I ow. loved it, but like my ear's throbbing. So yeah. let's tone it down. That was a great question. That was a great question. <laughs> well, we do on a... Thank you guys for having us here today. Um, We're aware that senior night this year will be a little different. Uh, There won't be the traditional speeches in there. We could use one quick opportunity to go around and maybe just think of maybe the highlight, maybe just one highlight of something that's really one of your favorite memories from your time here on the team. I feel like I can start. I think um, last year, this would be like the highlight moment for my career of reverse sweeping Loyola in the championship game. I feel like that's so like typical, you know, but that was like an iconic moment, especially because we kind of had beef with Loyola the whole season and they loved to talk that they were the best. So you were talking that raw, raw. Yeah. It was like, so it was so good to beat them, come back and beat them and then go to go on to the NCAA tournament. So that was definitely like my favorite moment ever. I feel like you all could agree. Even just like, the celebration like the last point so iconic yeah like they play the video the of that before each of our games this year and I still get chills every time I see it like it was just such a cool feeling to win that way because like that doesn't normally happen it's like very rare especially against a team that's like really really good Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah that is definitely my favorite as well I think another one highlight for me um, was playing at Wisconsin my freshman year. I was like playing against like people that I idolized who were amazing <laughs> in front of like a sold out crowd. 
So as a freshman, so like that was pretty cool and such a highlight because like, well, that was the first NCAA tournament and like not many like teams get the opportunity to play such an amazing program Mm -hmm. like that. So that was like so cool. The first like on-court experiences, like just competing against Illinois and beating them like two out of the three times we faced them is pretty cool because they have been top 25 both times that we beat them. So that's been a great experience. And then I think just off the court, having so many connections with the administration and everyone who works for ISU athletics has been truly like a breath of fresh air and just a learning, a true learning experience that I've been very grateful of. And like, it led me to choosing this place, choosing or being with my teammates and being with making new friends and just building new experiences. So I've loved every second of that too. President Kendi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, why don't we thank these ladies for uh, sharing with us their knowledge today. See you next time. Thank you for flocking around with us. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, ladies. See you next weekend. Yay. <laughs> Woohoo!